You're listening to episode 38 of the Breathe Like a Badass podcast. This is our first episode of 2021. Hello, thank you so much. It's been a bit of a gap since I last recorded and released a podcast. So thank you so much for bearing with me. I hope that you're doing okay despite everything. This week, I've got the perfect episode for everyone who might be struggling in the new year, thinking about those pesky New Year's resolutions and how to eat food in a way that feels good and that is going to cheer you up in these difficult times. I'm speaking with the absolutely wonderful Charlotte Fall Green, who is a registered nutritional therapist, and we're talking all about how to eat to ease anxiety, find joy in food, and improve your mental health. You're listening to Breathe Like a Badass, the podcast for ambitious but anxious women who want to cut through overwhelm, negative self-talk, constant comparison and fear so that they can get the inner calm, clarity and focus that they need to build happy, fulfilling, freedom-filled businesses and lives that truly light them up, which is what we all want, right? I'm Hannah, your host, and I am an e slash INFP. Yes, I can be an extrovert and an introvert almost at the same time. And I live in Southwest London with my coffee, very plentiful supply of chocolate and my partner Ollie. And I use down to earth science-based meditation techniques to support women like you in creating the successful, fulfilling and incredible freedom filled life and business that you deserve. Long story short, I help you to be and love exactly who you are so that you can go out and do the work that you truly love and that really lights you up. In this podcast, I interview some absolutely incredible guests on topics ranging from meditation, mindfulness, habits, the power of routine, how to be kind to yourself and just give yourself a damn break, what it's like when you try things and fail, what it's like when you try things and actually maybe succeed, and how to take all of that hard-won life experience to become more fulfilled women, business owners, partners, friends, parents, or whatever it is that is super important and central to making our lives more meaningful, powerful, and successful, whatever that means to us. So as you heard right at the beginning of this episode, this week I'm very happy to be talking to Charlotte Fall Green, a registered nutritional therapist who specialises in anxiety, stress, burnout and sleep disorders. Her approach is science and research-led, which I always like to hear if you know me, and she says it's science but with a cuddle. As a chronic illness and burnout survivor, Charlotte has walked the path herself and she intimately understands the challenges of staying well in body and mind in our fast-paced, ever-difficult world. She advocates real-world sustainable changes, focusing on getting the right things into your diet rather than stripping away all the things and the foods that you love. In this brilliant conversation, Charlotte and I chatted all about what to eat to ease anxiety and feel happier, why there is no one size fits all answer when it comes to eating and health and how to actually find what really works for you, why demonizing any kind of food group or type of food is almost certainly not the right approach, why intermittent fasting might not be the best choice for people with anxiety, how to totally reframe your view on food, exercise, healthy eating and your relationship with your mind and your body, the emotional side of eating and how to navigate it while staying healthy, 
how to stop seeing exercise or fasting as punishment for eating the food you love. And as you know, I'm all about how to stop punishing yourself and be compassionate. We also, of course, talk about how to prioritise vitality and health and actually feeling good instead of solely concentrating on weight loss. And we talk about the perfect breakfast routine and the best time to drink coffee. And no, Charlotte does not say you have to give it up unless you want to, which of course was absolute music to my ears. My coffee, caffeine addicted ears, I should say. We also talked about how none of us are perfect when it comes to food and health and how Charlotte herself stays healthy, normal and relatively sane while juggling life as a business owner, mum, partner, night owl, same, same, same and of course a busy human being. I absolutely love this conversation. As you'll hear, I get very honest about my own journey. I myself have had my own struggles when it comes to loving my body just the way it is and how to balance eating for joy, but also eating for health. We dig deep into all of those issues. I can't wait to share this episode with you. As usual, all of the show notes and how to connect with Charlotte and find out more are on my website on breathelikeabadass.com forward slash podcast. Let's get on with this very wonderful January 2021 episode. Thanks so much for listening. Okay, Charlotte, we are recording. Hello, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to dig deep on all things nutrition with you. How are you doing? Thanks, Hannah. Oh, it's so it's so good. Thank you for getting me on here. I know I've been trying to nail down a date for so long, so it's really good to actually connect now. Yeah, I'm good. I'm really good. Yeah, I'm really excited to chat to you. And I think it's interesting that you said that it's taken us a while to pin down this date because I think that's really relevant to what we're about to talk about because it's really just real uh-huh. life. And, and real life is messy and stressful and things come up and we don't feel our best or we have last minute arrangements or, you know, th- that's real life. And I think that for what we're going to talk about, you know, food and nutrition and for something that we have to do every single day, which is eat and nourish our bodies. It really actually is strangely appropriate that, you know, we, we've had things get in the way of our conversation and we, we're finally Oh my chatting. God. Yeah, isn't it just? And then this morning I woke up with a sniffle. So, you know, excuse me to any listeners if they hear me sort of sniffing away. But I woke up with a sniffle and a bit of a scratchy throat. And I had to email you and be like, you know, obviously in the time of COVID, panic. But I think the fact that I'm simply is a really good thing. Um, You know, and also I'm off the back of a really mental work week where I was burning the candle and not doing what I talk to my clients about and working all hours um, and not nourishing my body properly, you know. So it's funny because actually I think in the nutrition world, you find that... uh, nutritionists are really scared to say do you know what I don't feel great at the moment um because it sort of makes you seem oh they won't see me as an expert and it's like well all right I'm an expert but I'm human too and and it's been busy so yeah right hands up I don't feel great I know why it is it's because I've run myself into the ground a little bit but this week has been more about balance so I've actually scheduled in time you know and to take care of myself and I've lowered the number of clients that I can speak to in a day and things like that. I've been really proactive 
Perfect. And, and putting myself first and it feels great already and what are we just Tuesday <laughs> I also I love your honesty as well because this is something that I always always talk about and it comes up all the time it's literally this idea that like you can't admit as someone who's supposedly an expert in something that you are struggling and it's just like yeah. it's just the biggest pile of bollocks ever basically like let's just get it right out there like I always doubt myself and feel stressed and have my inner critic just so loud in my head telling me that I'm useless and it's like all the things that I help my clients with how to be more productive how to be kinder to yourself how to be more mindful how to bring yourself back from the present and stop worrying and stop stressing and it's like I'm really great at helping other people do that and I understand the science behind it and I'm totally like trained in all of the techniques but then when it's myself it's just like oh I actually feel like I have to be an expert in this all of the time and it's like exactly what you just said it's like yeah you know all of it but also you're human and actually doesn't that help you be a better leader and a better teacher because you understand what it's like to be human and doing all of this stuff I just I just think it it bears repeating so much (laughs) it really does and you know you're so right I think it's because it makes you good at what you do because you recognize the triggers you recognize that real life sometimes gets in the way I was talking to a client, I think I, I put it up in an Instagram post because it really did just ring so true for me. I had a session with a client and we were talking about delivery and how it's just so easy, so accessible. And I said, yeah, last night I sat and I scrolled through delivery for like 20 minutes looking for something really tasty that I could eat. In the end, I was like, do you know what? It's going to be 45 minutes for a pizza. And in that time, I can knock up something else. Yeah. And I did, you know, a helpful choice, one overall, you know, yeah. that time. That's not to say that I'm always, you know, allowing those things to win over. But I sort of, I said that to him. I didn't think anything of sharing that story. And he yeah. just kind of went, whoa. It's like, I can't believe you would do that. It's like, why? Am I, you know, I'm human. <laughs> Um, and, he, yeah. and he thought for a second, and he was like, cool, that's what makes you, you, that's mm. what makes you good at what you do, is, is that you recognise the triggers, you understand that delivery is there, it's in our phone, totally. snuggled up next to Instagram, and it provides a lovely dopamine hit of totally. accessibility and deliciousness, like what's not to love. Um, so true. I never want to come at anything that I'm talking about from the point of view of someone that has never struggled with it and I always repeat this phrase which is like we teach what we need to know and one of the oh I love that Hannah yeah exactly I didn't Mm. make I didn't come up with it I don't know I'll have to go and find out if it's yeah if it's an actual quote from someone or whether it's just one of those phrases that that goes that gets passed around but we teach what we need to know and we teach what we at some point really desperately needed to know like so many people that I speak to were once their ideal client and yeah (laughs) it's just so true and I just think for stuff that we talk about you know how to feel well how to feel less stressed and less anxious you don't want really to be taught by someone that's like never ever struggled with this stuff do you (laughs) you don't want to be given nutrition tips by someone that's like I never had a bar of chocolate because you're just like well what do you know about my life (laughs) you can't help me (laughs) yeah absolutely I think it's just another layer to the complexities that are being human um and understanding that struggle I think it's an integral part of, of of what I do and how I work with my clients totally now listen 
I'm going to reel it back. I'm going to go back to the beginning for people that don't know who you are. I'll <laughs> give you a chance to explain what you do. But first of all, before we even do that, I'm going to ask you one of my favorite questions that I always ask my guests on the podcast. And it is, mm -hmm. what are you most obsessed with at the moment right now? And it doesn't have to be anything to do with work. It doesn't have to sound good. It can be your guiltiest <laughs> pleasure. Although yeah. I don't think that there are guilty pleasures. I think that if it makes you feel good, go for it for your life. So what are you most obsessed with right now? Let rip. Okay. So, well, when I, I, I've long had an issue with sleep. I'm a night owl. I love to go to bed super super late and I rein it back for the most part and you know go to bed at a decent hour try to get seven hours in the night yeah. but once my my early bird husband goes to bed um I like to have a bit of we call it pottering time where I just <laughs> have some time to myself the whole house is quiet my son's in bed my husband's in bed and I've got some time to myself last week that was occupied by working just terrible behaviors I couldn't sleep disgusting but usually um i watch an episode of Grey's anatomy maybe two um and that is my uh, guilty pleasure you know um it's where i get all my medical knowledge uh no it's not just kidding um but when i was breastfeeding in the early hours of like you know when my in my son's first month and i'd wake up at 4 a.m and I'd be sat up for a couple of hours. It was just after my biomedicine year studying. Yeah. Um, and I would watch House because it's hilarious and brilliant. Yeah. Um, and what I would love about it was that I had this new understanding of some of the complex medical terminology. Um, and if I didn't <laughs> understand something, I would look it up. I'd Google it. Um, so... So yeah, I, I love watching anything medical, anything drama, but Grey's Anatomy for me is just, it's, it's trashy, so but great, I love it? it. I love yeah. it, I know. I'm trying yeah. to get my boyfriend into it. Um, I, I, mean, I mean, I cannot believe how long Grey's Anatomy has been running. Like I, no. I, I think, what was it? Like 10 years, like literally it's, easily, it's 10 years, easily 10 it's years. It's still going. It's still going. I know. I, I'm at the end of series six, which is a very dramatic point for any fans out there. And, you know, I've always got people trying to ruin it for me because there's 19 series. So they're like, oh, my God, where are you at? Um, so I'm, I'm still I'm still behind. It's like 2007. Okay. Okay. The music is like so nostalgic. It's, it's so stuff. good, isn't it? The music. So good. I know. You know. I used to watch it. I started watching Grey's Anatomy when I was at uni. That's how come I know that it's really old. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and um, I think I was already late to the party even when I was at uni. And each episode is apparently named after a after song. After track. Yeah. Is. Isn't that just yeah. so great? Mm. I think loads of bands got their big breaks from, from being on it as well. And I just, you know, what, I'm, a, I'm probably around 2007 now. So much of the music of like my early twenties that it's really sending me back. So that is, I'm obsessed with Grey's Anatomy at the moment, and any downtime I get where I'm not next to, you know, my son hates it because he's like, "Where's Mr. Tumble?" Um, so you know, anytime I'm on my own and I've got downtime, I'll stick on an episode. It helps me switch off. I love it. Hundred percent. Oh my god. I'm learning. I'm constantly learning from it. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. Non-work related. Brilliant. 
Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Bloody love it. Yeah. Oh my God. I love it. people usually do say TV shows. Or well, there's been a couple of people that I've seen to yesterday. Um, not always. I've had to be fair, actually, I've had a good array of fantastic answers to this question. Sourdough bread, homemade chocolate, um, but the most Oh, I ones... listened to the chocolate one. Did you? That Did was you good. To yeah, it was a good episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know that was a pretty great one. I do have some amazing guests on here. I'm always learning from them. But previously, most recently, we've had Selling Sunset on Netflix, which has been a massive oh. one, which I've literally binged. And it's so trashy, but it's also amazing from like a businesswoman point of view. Like just these women that are just like incredibly unapologetic about going after what they want and earning money and not not apologizing for it and like you know you could argue that they're kind of obnoxious americans that are kind of too much the other way but i would almost argue no they're not they're just businesswomen that are doing what they want to do and like fair play to them (laughs) also that's probably our british sensibilities you know like how dare you be that audacious to get you know to strive for something and and get it and then be completely immodest about having achieved it you know that's just that's where that's where we're at (laughs) and I'm also slightly jealous that I don't look quite as good in a pair of Christian Louboutin heels as well like there is that too but hey that's another story (laughs) (laughs) but um, I've heard it's good (laughs) like it seriously is but again probably another one to just to watch when your husband and son are in bed probably because I feel like it might not be their jam I might be wrong I might be stereotyping but my boyfriend's (laughs) My boyfriend definitely will not watch it with me. So it's definitely a guilty pleasure that I watch when I'm watching TV by myself. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, enough about all of that, because I could just yabber onto you about that for the whole podcast. But I would love to know, what is your story? How did you get to be doing what you're doing now? How do you describe what you do now? What sets you apart? What's your mission? Like, how did you come to be doing this? Did you did you once used to be your perfect client? Did you have a moment where you were like, oh God, I know what I need to be doing? Or was it a bit more organic? Like people that don't know who you are, of course, now they listen to this, they will. And everyone should go and follow mm-hmm. you on Instagram because I bloody love your account. You're, you're so colorful, full of amazing food. But for people that don't know, who are you? How did you get to be doing what you're doing? <laughs> who am I? <laughs> who are you? Thanks, Tell Annabelle. me everything about <laughs> So, yes, at, did I want, was I once my perfect client? I mean, probably. But then I think I'm pretty stubborn and I question everything. So, you know, do I, I, do you know what? To be fair, I love that in a client. I like my clients who have an analytical mind who are like, mm. explore that. Give me the science. Tell me why I need to, to yeah. do this. Those are actually my favorite clients. So, yeah, in a way, I was once my perfect client. Um, and you're, what you said before in the intro about we teach what we need to know, um, absolutely. And I think the aside, you know, if you, if you talk to counsellors, counsellors have once been through, um, have often been through trauma growing up and therefore have, you know, followed this path in order to not only heal other people, but heal themselves in the process. And I think that's often the case with nutritional therapy. All of my peers, in in my class you know if you go through everyone's had their their health struggles and my my health uh, 
history is complex and I, I like how much time have we got we've I'll try and then trace it as much as I can for you but essentially when I was uh, about 15 years old I had glandular fever and it went undiagnosed and that is not uncommon actually uh, it was only picked up a few years later in investigating um, you know where antibodies were discovered and it was like oh at one point you had glandular fever and it was quite easy to pinpoint it because it was a time where it was sort of ripping through my school and a lot of people wow. came down with it. And I was, I was one of the unlucky people who then go on to develop uh, what is known as post-viral fatigue or chronic fatigue syndrome or ME. So um, I was 15 and incredibly unwell, incredibly fatigued, low energy. And by that, I mean, I was sleeping about 18 hours of the day. And most of the time that was during the day and then I was awake throughout the night. Wow. And um, I was in my final year at college. My attendance was about 40%. And I went to a really, uh, you know, I went to a grammar school, an all girls grammar school, incredibly competitive, incredibly high achieving. Um, but they were so, so supportive. I had, I, I can't tell you how much support I had, but, but you know, my best friend, Lindsay, um, who is now uh, deputy head at our old school. Wow. Um, yeah, she, I mean, she's an incredible person and I love, I love, love her to bits. Um, and she would come around to my house with my homework, with any work that I needed to do. Um, she was a math teacher before she went into leadership. So she would, she, you know, would get me through my GCSE math. My mum was a math teacher as well. Um, and so I just, I was held and supported throughout all of that. And it lasted years, you know, also my family as well. My mum is pretty holistic uh, when it comes to, to all things health. So I was, I was really lucky. I saw a naturopath um, when I was about 17. And that was part of my healing journey. And it would be super disingenuous to to not mention the fact that I was also prescribed antidepressants because you know it, it would be very easy for me to sit here and be like yeah I saw a naturopath and I was healed I wasn't it was a two-pronged attack mm -hmm. um and you know that's not to say that antidepressants are for everybody and that's not to say but you know I don't it's it's very easy in a naturopath environment you know, you'll often find that nutritionists talk about you know, drugs are bad, allopathic medicine is bad, everything should be done through herbs and, and with complementary medicines. But that is not the case, and that mm. is not my, my ethos. Um, and I think that could be pretty damaging. So, you know, I, was, I had this two pronged attack of looking at things holistically with a naturopath and using antidepressants. And these two things together lifted me out of. What was a really muddy four or five years um and at the time you know i went to university um was still a little fatigued but i had a great time you know and that wouldn't have happened a year before but my thyroid was just bubbling away suboptimally not quite the right levels you know yep. and, the, and the message was let's keep an eye on it um so so I cracked on, I went to university and I was working in London, mid-twenties, living in Brighton, working for a well-known streaming service yeah. um, in London. And 
so that what's that that's a commute of almost two hours at the end of every at the start and the end of every day um and a really high pressure really fun job uh you know with a great team of people and you know we were out all hours it was great you know and i was in my 20s i was loving life and steve and i my now husband then boyfriend we we like to travel to um we like to travel to countries where they have high levels of malaria and disease yep. <laughs> it's just who we are as people you know our honeymoon we went to honduras and our driver had a gun under his front seat yeah. like we like to i mean live on the edge and so you know back to back i got we were in vietnam in north vietnam and i contracted malaria and wow. the the, the type of malaria I had is one that sits dormant in the liver and comes up when you are uh, your immune system is challenged or you're run down and retired. Uh, then the year following that, I got dengue fever, <laughs> Japanese encephalitis. <laughs> um, oh my goodness, in, I didn't even know this about you. I knew, <laughs> I knew that you had, had had health issues when you were younger, but I did not know that you got malaria, Japanese encephalitis and dengue fever. So yeah. Oh my goodness, because, you know, I, this is just really hit, this is a completely just an aside, and I'm going to let you carry on telling your story in, in 10 seconds, but that really hits home for me because I also love traveling to countries where I need a lot of vaccinations before I go, and mm -hmm. I, I have also, I also love traveling to places where you know they have Japanese encephalitis and they warn you about dengue and they you know and mm -hmm. gosh that just really hit wow that really hit me and and malaria as well I mean bloody hell carry on tell your story how what happened yeah. next <laughs> am I going into too much detail because you know no, no, no. I'm really interested to know how you because obviously you've been interested in nutrition and studying um how food can help support your health but I, I kind of love how you're really open about that two-pronged approach you're not basically saying mm. like oh I just like cut out wheat and I was magically cured and it's <laughs> yeah. like no it's actually I, I think there's so much in what you're saying and I'm kind of putting a pin in them mentally to kind of ask you about it in more detail later but yeah no that that just really hit home to me like that you have actually had all of these actual conditions you know it's not just like oh I was a bit <laughs> run down and I decided to cut out wheat um yeah so that firstly and then secondly um you know just the just just that idea that that you're very open about the fact that food is one part and everything holistic and naturopathic is one part of what it takes to kind of help us to be uh like feeling our best selves like whatever that means mentally and physically um yeah so yeah just fast like I absolutely think, obsessed with everything you've said already but carry on <laughs> i think also you know like i will go back into my weird and wonderful health journey it's nearly <laughs> it's coming to an end um but I, I just i think that's a really good point actually that i i want to make first up is is that i am not a medic i am a health practitioner and you know my my remit is falls within naturopathic medicine that is where i'm trained so anything that i say here is not medical advice is not you know what i do with my clients when we sit down is highly focused to them as an individual so anything i say here is please don't take it as medical advice you need to speak to your own health practitioner your own gp your own medic because 
you know anything I say is just this is this it might be very specific to one person or if it is broadly you know accessible to everyone I'll say that you know you cannot take this as medical advice it is not intended as medical advice so I just need to say that but I, I think that so much of these conversations are an invitation to investigate what is right for you and that's what yeah. i always say yeah. Perfect. that's just what i always say that meditation and mindfulness is like going back to kind of what what my methodology is it's like what works for one person might not work for you and that's okay because part of this whole thing is about recognizing like that these modalities and methods are out there doesn't mean that if somebody eats exactly what you eat in a day they're going to feel the same way you do but it means that maybe they're mm -hmm. a bit more aware that that you know their their lifestyle might be contributing to how they're feeling so that they can go on their own kind of investigation and figure out yeah. what's right for them um so yeah i really appreciate you pointing that out thanks thanks um, so where were we? I'm in London, travelling we were... to Brighton. Is that right? Yeah, we we were at this point. I think in the story you had contracted Japanese encephalitis. Yeah, I got over that really quickly actually. <laughs> um, I think of all of the malarial diseases, that one um, was pretty mild. <laughs> um, well, it was for me. I managed to sort of get away with with that. Um, but the malaria, the malaria was one that um, that sits dormant uh, for up to four years. Oh. And actually, it's funny because that that was that was my pattern. I think it's about just under four years that I was like, oh, it's gone. And the weird thing about that is it kind of like flares up every once in a while, like I said, when you're a bit run down, and that is when you need to go and get the blood test to to see what the levels are because when it's hiding um it, it's almost impossible to detect so i had the initial blood test at the start where they were like yeah you, you've got malaria and then thereafter it becomes really hard to trace but when you're in a flare and those flares for me would only could only last for two three days i was exhausted the last thing i wanted to do was go to my gp and go can you just test me to make sure it's still there mm. because because also there was very little they said there was very little that they could do for my symptoms um so I kind of just lived with it and it was hard. And what was happening career-wise is that I had moved into the PR team, which meant late night festivals, uh, you know, taking journos out for dinner, booze, and smoking, mm -hmm. you know, I was living like a typical mid-20s <laughs> mid life. Um, and then, you know, at 11 p.m. I was jumping on a train, getting home, falling asleep and getting up at six and doing it the next day. I can't, you know, you yeah. can tell what's going to happen next, can't you? It's like, <laughs> oh, doesn't take Nancy Drew to figure out that I just burnt myself into the ground. Yep. Um, and, and down went my thyroid. So that was the first thing that, you know, I was like, hi doctor, I'm really exhausted. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were like, well, when I eventually got my thyroid tested, I had to really push for those tests as well mm. um, and I think that is that's something that comes up with a lot of clients is that you know if you haven't got someone advocating for you mm -hmm. it's sometimes very hard to convince a doctor that these feelings of stress anxiety overwhelm exhaustion fatigue lack of appetite increased appetite that they they might actually have a functional cause totally. and you know to get to go down that testing route, it's really, really hard. 
Um, so my thyroid was tested. It's one of the things that GPs actually will like, you know, will do. And I said, look, you know, I've been told to keep an eye on it ten years ago. So let's see where it's at now. Wow. And the results yeah. came back. And he was like, I have never seen results like this in a woman of your age. He's like, I'm amazed that you can climb the stairs. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, they were, really, they were really bad. It was a big picture. Um, and so, you know, I was climbing the stairs. I was walking to the station every day. I was getting on the train. I was doing so, so much. I was pushing myself beyond. Yeah, and, but also my career was suffering. I, I had brain fog. I couldn't really think straight you know when I was when I was there and I had no reason for all of this and then all of a sudden there came this reason and um, my my choice was to find work we weren't going to move to London um so it was to find work nearby I went back to my old job they uh, they welcomed me with open arms um I hadn't burnt any bridges when I'd been there last but I went back to my old job which was high pressure high yeah. stress but it was seven minutes away from where I lived. I could, you know, if I wanted to, um, I could at seven at five thirty, I could clock off because yeah. those are my working hours. It wasn't, I wasn't expected to work outside of that. So, um, I went back to what I had done previously and absolutely loved. Now I have to like, you know, I have to put my hands up and say this comes from a complete place of privilege to be able to, um you know, willingly take a, you know, a big pay cut in order to seek balance in life and sure. preserve your health. That is a privileged thing to be able to do. Um, and it is not available to everyone. So, you know, often I've got clients who come to me, they're living really high, high stress, high, they're high functioning yeah. and it's impacting their health. But we can't just pick them up out of their about out of their high pressure job because they've got families, mortgages. You know, this is the point where I was 25 and I was able to prioritize health. That's a privilege, you know, that isn't totally. always the case. But um, I think I think what's really important about what you're saying is that it's an awareness that our external environment can actually be a huge stressor on our body. Oh, being absolutely. aware of that and I think that that's actually quite important to say because I think often I relate so much to what you're saying because I also have an underactive thyroid and I I went to the doctor and had to force them to you know take take my tests and tell me what my blood results meant and I'm still like even like five I don't even know now like more than five years later we're still always tweaking my um thyroxine levels and still always kind of testing and seeing what's working and blah 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 long story short we'll talk about that later but mm. i really i really hugely relate to what you're saying but i think that for so many years i didn't know that i had an underactive thyroid mm -hmm. and I, ju I just thought that i was lazy yeah <laughs> and i just thought that it was me and that i wasn't trying hard enough and i thought that it was mm -hmm. just my fault and that i just needed to you know um sleep more or like fuck my ideas up or whatever you yeah. know whatever that even means and just like try harder and like not be so damn lazy and it was only yeah. when I literally had had enough when I was literally completely burnt out and I just thought surely this isn't normal like surely other people don't walk around with this level of exhaustion and this level of brain fog and this level of you know total inability to to function and 
you know, and all the other issues that underactive thyroid gives you, you know, like depression, mm. anxiety, um, you know, weight gain for no apparent reason. I mean, it's, it's rubbish having an underactive thyroid. It's rubbish. Very rubbish. And, <laughs> and, um, and, and just like to that wider point, it's like, like I say, I, I now know that there was a real physical reason why I felt like I did. But before I had that diagnosis, I literally thought that it was my fault and that it was just me being lazy. And so I think mm. that what you're saying, what you're speaking to, this idea that, okay, no, loads of us cannot just quit our jobs. And what you're saying, you know, it is a privileged thing to be able to do that. But as much as it's not all of our fault and as much as it's not all on our shoulders to change everything, it can sometimes be a real relief to be like, oh, there are things in my immediate environment or there are ways that I am living that I can change like maybe just one small thing a day or one small thing a week yeah yeah and I like I kind of like that approach and it, it is a balance between sort of recognizing that there are external factors and how you feel but also recognizing that there are things that you can do and finding that balance between like okay do I really need to quit my job or do I just need to drink like way more water? You know, it's kind of like, uh -huh. it's, it's, it's that kind of balance that, that I think yeah. you're speaking to that's really important. Uh-huh. And you know how I feel about water. <laughs> so, um, you know, yeah, you, like everything you said there is, is so right. But also, I think it's really important to recognise that I, I, I went through these blood tests and like, like you, I then went through a process of my medication being tweaked massively you know every I was I was sort of you know I was being tested so often and then it was oh just let's add in 25 micrograms it's taken mm. away you know but what I was medicated but I wasn't getting massively better sure like to some degree but that sort of final push of I don't feel like I'm functioning as I should be mm -hmm. what what brought that back into balance was leaving work at 5 30 going to a yoga class, meditating, seeing my friends who were used to only seeing me on a Sunday mm. because I wasn't around on a Wednesday night because mm. I was working, you know, living in balance and also being a nutritionist. And that is, that is the key, that is the moment where my, I guess my life changed course. I saw a nutritionist Amazing. and that was integral, integral to my healing. And, you know, and, and from there, that's when I decided to retrain. Well, not, I mean, not immediately. Like I saw her and, and then like, you know, and then being back in that job, it, it had felt like a, a step back, I guess, you know, yeah. because it had been somewhere I'd left and it was lovely and I loved that job. And I loved the perks and it was amazing. And I loved my clients. But I then had an opportunity to retrain um in nutritional therapy which I did alongside working amazing cool yeah okay so I understand now I love that I love <laughs> kind of that whole sort of story of kind of coming full circle right from being at school all the way through to kind of being in in the workplace and and yeah, yeah that's that's fascinating so <laughs> okay so you saw a nutritionist and you retrained to basically what did you say that it's called? Nutritional therapy. Nutritional therapy. So nutritionist is kind of a generic term. Yes. And you hear you hear a lot it's being banded around. Um, you know, what people what's the difference between dietitians, and nutritionists and yeah. a nutritional therapist. So there is And there also, are, if I may, can I also put in there 
if we're going to do a quick definition, could you also define for people what a naturopath actually is? Because I'm not 100% certain that I'd be able to define the difference between naturopath, um, nutritionist, dietitian. Yeah, so a naturopath, essentially, when the easiest way to look at it is if you go to, if you go to the GP and you say that my, my kidneys are really hurting, um, and it's like, okay, well, let's do, you know, have a little wee into this pot and we'll look to see if you've got any proteins in there and they're looking for markers and inflammation and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it'll come down, well, you've got a kidney infection. So let's give you this medication to, which is using an antibiotic, mm-hmm. to get rid of that infection. Whereas a naturopath would look at it and say, okay, you've got a kidney infection. Let's treat that kidney infection. But also let's look at why you're getting that in the first place because there's always a reason upstream and i think that's the easiest way to look at what naturopathic medicine is mm-hmm. is defining and finding working to find a root cause as opposed to treating the symptoms so with, that's what i will do with my clients is i will look to find you know they tend to come to me with anxiety and stress and insomnia Sure, I could treat, treat insomnia with uh, a herbal sleeping pill, say, um, which is something that will, you know, just knock them out and, and give them a, well, arguably, a good night's sleep. It's not really a good night's sleep, is it? It's, it's, a, not, fake, it's a fake good night's sleep, but yeah. It might not be a true sleep, you know. Um, so that's how I could, uh, you know, and actually, ethically, I can't say true, but that's how I would go about managing, uh, you know, I could go about managing an insomnia client but I won't because what I want to look at is the root cause why have they got dysregulated sleep so yes we might remedy the symptom Mm. the symptom is dysregulated sleep we might remedy that with a sleep aid in the short term but looking upstream why why are they suffering from poor sleep in the first place so really that I think that kind of is that in a nutshell is the difference between um, naturopathic medicine and allopathic medicine which is essentially western medicine and the two combined they are not separate yeah you know entities they are you know like like we were just talking about this two-pronged mm. approach of i went to see a naturopath but also went to see my gp and was prescribed some allopathic pharmaceutical medicine so these two things aren't necessarily standalone and actually that's what's really fascinating at the moment is Mm. is this um integration of both so you see some sort of like you know tbgps (laughs) who are talking about naturopathic ways and there is very much more uh, an acceptance because these naturopathic ways tend to be they are the og (laughs) of all medicines you know yeah um and and, and actually, it's sort of coming coming back to our roots and, and accepting that, you know, pharmaceutical advances are great, medical advances are great. Like, you know, I, I have no qualms in saying that for the most part, I am pro-vaccination. And you can't, it's really hard to stand up in a, in a lecture, a naturopathic lecture and say that. Um, you know, and that's, but, you know, that's for the most part. Not all vaccines are for everyone. I don't agree um, with a dogmatic approach to vaccinations, but I am pro-vaccination. Mm-hmm. That's unusual in my world, let me tell you. But I just think totally. you can't deny medical advances 
they can be integrated with with you know looking at root causes and, and looking at natural ways naturopathic ways of of healing totally okay and so and nutritional therapy is is what you're trained in and i know that you've yeah. described your mission as guiding stressed and anxious bodies and minds back into balance so in the context of your training and what we're talking about about anxiety and about kind of treating the whole person rather than just the sort of single symptoms what does that mean can you explain a little bit more about what that mission statement means like guiding stressed and anxious bodies and minds back to balance okay so that is i'm so i'm a bit sad that you pulled that off my website because actually although it still stands i need to change it i need to rethink it i don't think it's clear enough mm-hmm. about what i do but it's clearly not because you're asking me a question about it so but it's really hard to to explain I find it really hard to explain what it is I do, but that mission statement, or it needs a bit of tweaking. It's almost there, but it's not quite. I need to sort of work it. And I'm working with a brilliant coach, um, hi Pandora, um, on doing <laughs> just that. So you know, and I'm I'm behind on my homework <laughs> because of the nuts work week last but week. Again, so thanks for the push. But again, <laughs> though, like, just I love your honesty because it's so true. Like I as a as a businesswoman myself like i am tweaking my mission statement every week to try and make it clearer and to try and make it more easily accessible so people go onto my website or onto my instagram page and they're like oh i get it i understand exactly what you do like i understand whether you're for me or not and so firstly yeah. totally understand like i think that it's <laughs> a brilliant mission statement and i would also say that i'm not asking you to explain it because it's unclear i think that it just it shows how much there is to what you do and that idea that word balance I always come back to that word balance and Mm. I love how you're helping people with stress and anxiety and I would just love to understand more about how your work does that right okay so um it's very I think it's very important from the off so I have um you know i have suffered from periods of anxiety in my life and i'm i'm familiar with different types of anxiety just through you know through exposure to it mm-hmm. i've always been fascinated in in psychology um so it you know this is this is where i have focused my research my work um where i focus my time and my energy is into understanding and uh, you know understanding and researching the effect of food, nutrition and lifestyle on anxiety and stress and how that manifests in people. But I think it's really important to say straight up, we can't eat ourselves out of the trauma state. Um, so, you know, often when people come to you, clients come to you with a history of deep trauma and that might be the root cause of their anxiety. Eating, you know, a bit of broccoli and, a bit more protein it's not going to erase that mm-hmm. but what nutritional therapy can do is is look at the diet and see what changes can help to uh, abate symptoms of anxiety and stress we can't undo the trauma but we can buffer the body's response to it mm. um you know undoing the trauma that takes so much more work it's outside of outside of my remit mm-hmm. um and so often i like to work with 
uh, I, I work with a wonderful psychotherapist who I might refer my clients to, um, or, or counsellors, or you know, a relationship therapist. So I will I will often refer outside mm. when you know another approach is needed, and then work alongside those professionals in a two pronged attack. You know, sometimes clients don't need that; they don't want it. Um, but it's so it's really about working with the individual to what they want. But it's important to say you're not going to eat yourself out of a traumatized state. But your body, we can we can build our resilience to additional trauma and stress and anxiety yeah. and we can live in a way that may reduce those symptoms of anxiety and mm. um, so yeah it, it might help to give a very specific example so um in depressed or low mood clients we we might look specifically at the cofactors that go to um producing serotonin mm -hmm. serotonin is our happy hormone so you know but one of the one of the many reasons or root causes for depression, not the only reason, you know, we know that now through research mm. and studies, but low serotonin is one of the many reasons. And if a client is presenting with low serotonin, and we can figure that out through uh, genetic testing or neurotransmitter testing or, you know, any of the other things, or we can just go on gut feel from symptoms. Um, which is it tends to be, you know, if you go to the GP and you're, uh, you are prescribed SSRIs, mm -hmm. which are, um, which are, uh, are drugs that, that uh, increase the uptake of serotonin, sure. they are going on guesswork. They do not test, you know, as far as I'm aware, GP wouldn't, they might refer you um, to a neurologist, but they are just going on gut instinct that low serotonin is the cause. So, you know, I can do that in my clinic. We can go on gut instinct if the funds aren't there for further testing. I like working with facts. It makes things a hell of a lot easier, but it's not accessible to everyone. Sure. So again, it's about working with the client. But, you know, so we're looking at a picture of low serotonin and diets that are low in magnesium and B6 and zinc don't, might not have the cofactors and these are cofactors that are needed to send tryptophan, which is amino acid, down the appropriate pathway to make serotonin. So ensuring that a diet has uh, adequate magnesium B6 and zinc means that it, it, gives, it, gives my, it gives my client all of the tools that they may need to produce serotonin, if that is the problem. So, you know, Absolutely. if we don't have these things, if we don't have these cofactors, we have the potential to send tryptophan down uh, a really naughty pathway <laughs> um, called the kynurenine pathway, um, which produces kynurenic acid rather than serotonin. So leaving is really, you know, really chronically low. Um, there are other factors that, that go to this, uh, that affect this pathway still, and that is high cortisol, which is our anticipatory stress hormone. Mm -hmm. And inflammation which may be caused by living in a disease state or having you know a less than optimal diet so the, all of these things can mean that you know the pathways just aren't working as they should so it's it's looking at the client as a whole and realizing that actually they may be that the root cause may be 
some underlying trauma, but actually we can we can manipulate <laughs> neurotransmitters by putting the right things into the diet. And mostly my approach is, is normally putting the putting good things in. So the best way, the best food to downregulate this uh, kynorinine seal is our brassicas. That's broccoli and cauliflower and kale. So it's just about going, you know what, eat this once a day, boom. And, and it's little things, it's little things that can help. And I just, I, I find it utterly fascinating. I, I really, I really do. I think that's amazing. That, it is. I think it is fascinating. Does that help it's explain? That's one very, very specific example yeah. of how food can affect mood. Well, yeah, it can have an absolute direct effect on what's going on in your body. And it's, it, it's so important to understand that. And like you say, you'll work with often other disciplines or refer your clients to mm. a psychotherapist or which is so important but it's almost like I mean I know a lot about CBT for example cognitive behavioral therapy which mm-hmm. is which is and, and mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy MBCT and that's really useful in in helping you to reframe your thoughts and question your natural patterns and negative moods and understanding how your behavior impacts your mood which then goes on to impact your behavior and your feelings and it's this big cycle and like yeah I get that but if you literally have a physical reason that your body is unable to take in serotonin and you're actively kind of what's the word you're actively hindering your ability to physically benefit from the mental health exercises that you may be doing your cbt therapy that you may be going to or whatever yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. if you can do kind of all of the exercises that you want but if you're still in some way blocking your ability in your brain to reap those benefits then it's like what's the point you have it has to be working in tandem yeah yeah makes Absolutely. so much sense it makes that it's just really, a fascinating yeah. example it's just that and that is just like one of many and that's kind of like but it all it makes it sound so scientific and you know with with clients i often say how sciencey do you want me to get or do you just want me to tell you to eat the eat the broccoli and take the zinc supplement you know more often than not people really want to understand and i think that comes down to the psychology of totally of, of behavior and habits and patterns is like understanding why we're doing certain things or understanding what we need to do to affect change it's having that you know if we've spoken about this before it's like oh i know i know i need to eat the broccoli but i stop myself from eating the broccoli what if you know that that broccoli is going to upregulate your serotonin it's like well then maybe it makes it easier to reach for yeah 100% I'm a massive questioner as well I always get my clients to um take the um four tendencies quiz by um Mm -hmm. Gretchen Rubin because Mm -hmm. I I always think it's so useful to know kind of what your motivations are when it comes to sticking to habits or not sticking to habits as the case may be and honestly I am a questioner through and through so people listening to this podcast will know that um I talk about this all the time so for there are four uh, tendencies that that you can be if you take this quiz 
and one of them's a rebel where you don't want to do anything ever <laughs> uh, <laughs> one's like an upholder another one's an obliger and i'll put links to this in the web page for this oh I, I need to do this it's so this. it's so fascinating and i am a questioner and questioners Your questioner. as as the title sounds need to question everything before they do mm. it like i will i will follow any rule if i understand and believe that the reason that i'm following it is valid so if you say to me you just need to eat more broccoli and take more zinc mm -hmm. i'd be like why <laughs> like i'm not yeah. just gonna i'm just gonna do it like that sounds boring but like tell me like tell me why and the fact that you've just given me a really specific example of exactly what's going on in my brain that to me is like night and day like i am so mm -hmm. much more likely to do something if i understand the science behind it so you're saying right. to me like how sciencey should i go and i'm like just like literally go all the way like <laughs> yeah. because that's something that helps me with meditation as well it's like i'm not just sitting there silently sort of telling people to breathe because it's like nice and woo i'm telling people to do it because i have seen the science that shows what a measurable literally physical effect it can have on the brain and like that's why i mm -hmm. do it <laughs> mm -hmm. neuroplasticity yeah. But I think, you know, you, but that's how you work and you work from a really scientific point of view. And actually most of my, most of my clients do, most of them need, need the reason to yeah. differing degrees. And that's what's so, what I really like, which what, what keeps me on my toes with my, with my work is I have to adapt yeah. to each client, the level of information they get. Some are incredibly anxious and actually <laughs> too much to think yeah. about yeah. you know so it's actually just tell me what to eat and um you that's know and, th and actually sometimes they do they do really well but for the most part i think people need reasoning behind it but it's to what level to what level i go um you know but that's that's for me is the is the jigsaw that i like that's the kind of oh actually who's this client what do they respond to what do they need what are their triggers yeah. um and how can i optimize you know my knowledge and impart it to them to make them get it and know what to how to work best for them and that's kind of yeah that's what i love about what i do is like taking it and molding it to totally. different people yeah. i kind of love that as well i kind of love how you're like you know some clients want to know all the science and some people are just like please just tell me what to eat i don't care just yeah yeah See, because it's too much it's too much information they've already yeah. got these brains that minds that are and i've been there i've had a mind that could you know wanted to absorb all of the information this is a you know not so long ago i wanted to absorb all of the information the more information i absorbed the more anxious i felt it was an overload of you know i uh, i like to think i was hoarding information in my brain and actually at the time if someone had just simplified it all and said you know i i you know, I didn't have a problem with food because that is my background and that's what I do. But anything that I was finding a struggle, if someone just said, oh, here you go, let me hold your hand and just, here's a very brief reason why. That would have been yeah. the approach that I needed. Yeah. So, but then that's not who I am today. People are different at different stages. So I am having to adapt my approach like 24 seven, but I love that. I, yeah. I enjoy that. I enjoy that's it. That's so great. And I kind of think that's one of the reasons why people often do work with a coach or a consultant or, or, you know, do, do seek out people like yourself, because it's kind of like, it's not necessarily that they don't have the information or that they can't find that information on Google or, 
that no, you know yeah. they don't have the capacity to understand that information it's like never that those things it's always just like I need someone firstly to just like tell me what to do I need someone to make sure that I do it I need accountability accountability need yeah such a massive one. Mm. proven process as well you know like as much as what we do is based on kind of experimenting and seeing what works and it definitely is for me anyway kind of like figuring out what works for each different person I think as well it's like if you actually work with a coach it's like they have already spent a lot of time sort of figuring out what you need to know and what is maybe just noise and helping yeah, you kind of yeah. go down that path so that you literally don't spend your entire life googling stuff when you can go mm -hmm. to a coach who's already kind of done that for you in a way if that makes sense or it, yeah. like, not that we've not that our not that our experience is purely based on googling stuff but do you see what i mean like obviously we've got like qualifications and experience and what we're talking right. about but i think that that's so that's so useful. It's kind of like, no, there are some things that we know that can help you if you're suffering from stress or lack of sleep or anxiety. And like, you know, these are the things that can help. And like, that's what you do. And I just think that's brilliant, basically. I love it. <laughs> so it's so um, interesting that you say that about, you know, about quieting the noise. That's what um, I've got a good friend, Beth, Beth Edwards, nutrition, um, and she's a type one uh, diabetes nutritionist uh -huh. yeah. and that's her speciality and she's um, she's amazing she's been a, such a good friend we sort of we met online we met on instagram yeah. and you know we just connected and we check in with each other all the time and um you know she she did this amazing post why am i better than google because it, it on if you go to google the you know the ideas are well you know you should fast you should be you know doing a water bath for seven days don't fast it's a terrible thing it will damage your, oh, your liver yeah. you know and there are conflict there's conflicting advice I'm, I'm not saying don't fast so i'm not a huge advocate of it for clients with anxiety and stress um you know but fasting can be a wonderful thing for some disease states uh or some wellness states for longevity and things like that but i am not a huge advocate of fasting if someone is suffering from high cortisol or you know or burnout um it's that's so interesting that so i'm not saying so fast but yeah you get you get all of these conflicting information yeah. because it's a wash the exactly. internet is a wash with, with different things and i think it's it that's absolutely why you should if you are you know adrift without a paddle going to see a nutritionist um can can bring you back into to figuring out what's right for you because there's so much information out there who you know and people struggle like oh totally so this brings really? me yeah 100 that's the thing because there's so much conflicting information out there mm. so of course i agree with you because i am a coach and i think you know everyone should work with coach and coaches need coaches and we should we can all just use a little bit of simplification and direction in our lives quite frankly i think but that does bring me quite neatly into my next question <laughs> okay so if i work with a nutritionist if i call you up and say charlotte you're a nutritional therapist and everything you're saying sounds amazing are you just going to tell me that i need to just give up all of my favorite junk food and like go on a massive regime and cut out like a whole food group like you know what happens if you tell me that actually dairy is aggravating my skin like is, does that mean i'm never going to eat cheese again like how does it work right so uh yeah, I mean that, that's a that's a that's a really really good question, but it, there is no dogmatic as far as I'm concerned. There's no dogmatic approach. 
to what will work for one client. So, you know, we are bio individual. So everyone has a very unique um, sort of way of eating that would be would incite optimal health, if you will. Um, so, you know, there are there will be practitioners who believe that dairy is bad for everybody. There will be practitioners who say don't eat gluten. As far as I'm concerned, I'm gluten free um, because I have an autoimmune thyroid disorder. And that means gluten is indicated as problematic. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason for that is that gluten is a protein and it is, uh, it, it's almost indistinguishable to uh, the antibodies, the thyroid antibodies um, from self. So it, when I ingest gluten, my my body uh, sees it as self, as a human, and it should be something that we need to we need to get rid of it. We need to attack it. So it sends antibodies to uh, destroy this gluten, and then the antibodies get there and they go, oh, that's uh, that's you know that's not self. This is embarrassing. That's uh, it's a bit of bread. Uh, it's a bit of bread protein. And so what do those antibodies do? What do they need to do? They need to do something. They go to the thyroid. And they go, and well, and this is in my case, they go to my thyroid and they go, destroy it, <laughs> yeah. destroy it. So I've been gluten free for six years. Um, you know, does that mean that every client who comes in my door, I go, gluten is bad and ugly? Absolutely not. But if it is indicated in, in your disease state, in your, your wellness, or you are bloating when you eat it, you are reacting badly to eating it, mm. yeah, I'm probably going to guide you through how to cut that from your diet and that's not necessarily that could be a transient intolerance that could be something that is gonna it's gonna come and go and intolerances tend to be you know food intolerances to uh, tend to often are due to overgrowth or a, an imbalance dysbiosis of our gut bacteria mm. and in you know and then the, the gas comes from fermentation in the gut and so if we, if people are reacting to these things, if they have a an intolerance and we do not feed the gut bacteria those foods, the mm. gut bacteria, that's its preferred food, it may not thrive. And therefore we can get back to a state of gut balance and therefore we can, we can reintroduce the sourdough bread and the pizza and the croissant because God, do I miss a croissant, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, gluten-free gluten food is, you know, marvellous. In a pinch, I love gluten-free bread. And you know you can get a really decent gluten-free pizza these days, um, but you cannot get a good gluten-free croissant or <laughs> you know crumpet. And those are, these are really yummy foods that I miss every day. But it would not serve me to eat a croissant. So I'm not no, I'm not I you know I'm not going to demonise certain foods because you know you mentioned dairy and I think dairy is a very contentious one, mm. especially in like you know, nutrition world, uh, because there are some people who believe that dairy is inflammatory on every level. And even if you don't have an, a dairy intolerance, we should not be consuming dairy. Mm. Um, you know, that is not necessarily my, my, my stance. I, I, I don't love the dairy industry. Therefore, I, I step back from dairy for the most part. Um, but there are some people where dairy is, indicated in what they're suffering from arthritis you know acne sure. so um, i would 
I would always suggest if you feel that these are contributing to your symptoms, let's strip it back. Because remember, the process is always just to find the root cause. Sure. And what yeah. I'm, what I'm what I'm hearing as well, which I kind of think is is such a healthy way of looking at it. It's like, firstly, you're not demonizing any one food group. No. Secondly, you're <laughs> secondly, you're tailoring it to each person. So you're mm-hmm. not just going to say like, okay, well, I tell all of my clients that they should avoid gluten and also they shouldn't eat cheese and, um, you know, never ever eat a piece of chocolate ever again. And, oh you know, if you, if you come and work with me, you know, that's it. You'll never eat pizza again. It's kind of sort of, so you're secondly kind of, it's very, you're not black and white about it. You're very much kind of tailoring it to the person and what they need. And I think, yeah, and... I think sorry, no, no, I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you and, you know, it's, it's not about what I think, but just something that occurred to me when you were speaking was just this idea that you are looking at it from an approach of what is this going to get me rather than what am I losing? So it's like, okay, maybe, maybe you're not eating gluten, but that means that you are actually moving so much closer to good health. You're moving so much closer to feeling you know, yeah. lighter and brighter and more energetic. And so it's like, okay, yeah, maybe it means that you might have to cut out, you know, technically um, gluten. But actually, let's look at it from the other perspective and say, what are you not, gaining? Yeah, what are you gaining? It's not so much about like cutting it out and feeling as though you're depriving yourself. It's like, yeah, but how do mm-hmm. you feel when you do that? And I think that's a really difficult mindset shift to make. But I think that if you do make it, it can make all the difference to how you approach food. Yeah. And this is one thing that I I talk about often in clinic, um, you know, and with with many clients who are struggling with breaking habits, you know, and actually people are often very fearful of giving up things like gluten, especially if you live, you know, in a family where that is a favoured food and we often have pasta or pizza on Friday nights. And, you know, so actually people are rightfully quite attached these foods and it does become problematic when people fear um you know big giving them up or seating them for a, for a short while mm. so we have to work around that and often i like to come back to a very simple thought hack which is when you're reaching for something that you know is not in your best interest or is not going to make you feel optimal i like to say is this helping me reach my goal and and I, I I always talk to clients about you know that little thought hack is it helping me reach my goal and so for different people it's going to be different things for some people it's going to be diet coke for some people it's going to be you know um, yeah eating gluten when they have an underactive thyroid that is autoimmune um, so you know is this going to help me reach my goal and actually sometimes that answer is no but I want it anyway <laughs> and that is okay well. Provided it's not going to make you incredibly unwell, that is often just okay. It's when our goals are, you know, uh, vitality and things like that. When we're trying to move out of a disease state, that becomes that is often very different. And sometimes those simple thought hacks are so much. Um, but again, yeah, it's like by individuality and like working with the client who's in front of me. Mm. Um, you said about you mentioned about Doritos earlier and um how it's like an act of rebellion yeah, <laughs> um, my, old, my old friend the packet of doritos that i know contains absolutely zero nutritional benefit and there's absolutely uh-huh. zero reason in the entire universe why i should eat 
this packet of Doritos, but I'm going to bloody oh. do it anyway. And why, like, how do we unpack that? Because I, that is just so common for me. Like food for me Hello. is obviously like with so many people, it's an act of celebration. It's a social thing. It's an act of joy, you know, like have a beautiful birthday cake on your birthday or mm -hmm. cook a gorgeous plate of pasta for your partner because you want to show them that you love them. And that's kind of one of the ways that you do it. Totally go out for a meal with your family and have a gorgeous meal that everyone's looking forward to so mm -hmm. i have all of that which is very common but i also have this thing which i suppose is also common but maybe less so or maybe people talk about it less i don't know because it's also wrapped up in shame like food is also so wrapped up in shame uh -huh. and this is a whole other conversation but i find that there is and this is true of so many healthy habits meditation included exercising everything like there's a gap between what we know we should do and what we actually do. Like, I know that Doritos are not helping me in any way. They're not gonna make me feel good. I'm gonna feel like a pig afterwards. They don't almost sometimes don't even actually taste that great. I just eat them mm. because they, to me, are a kind of symbol of my rebellion. They're kind of like, fuck it, I've had a hard day. I've been working really hard all this week. And so I'm gonna sit on the sofa and I'm gonna eat this pack of Doritos, even though I know that it goes against all of my goals. Like how do we unpack that what's going on there well it's such a and you know you mentioning the word shame is kind of that is that cuts deep that makes me that makes me go oh because i've been there and i understand that and i you know i'm not perfect i don't eat perfectly all the time um i don't have all of the answers because we're complex human beings mm -hmm. and you know it's it balance is for me is what is my is my goal for my clients mm. and i i wish for them to be able to eat in a way that doesn't incite deprivation nor shame and guilt and i but my goal for them my aim for them is for them to, to feel aligned and optimal and in their best health and actually do you know what sometimes that involves eating the doritos so <laughs> you know but I, i'm never going to advocate and say Go, yeah, go and have a family bag of cool original Doritos because that is going to set you back. But a small handful, a small handful alongside a pair, and a, you know, you you know, I'm big into protein with everything. So you know, a pair and some almond butter. Why not have a small handful? Because actually, not denying that deprivation is what leads to it, it leads to desire really. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you talk about it's what a thing it is to sit around a table and break bread with loved ones. And food is not fuel. It is it's so much more than that. Mm. Um, it's comfort and joy and connection. It's it, 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 it's it's a wonderful thing. For most people, food is not fuel. I did once meet uh, a bloke who said that he if he didn't have to eat and just take a pill and be he would be really happy <laughs> like wow i do not get you we are not on the same page um but i think you know acceptance is key accepting that to eat is human and to derive pleasure or comfort from food is human and emotional eating is a valid normal human response to emotions you know, and it, but it's very important. Like I'm trying to distinguish this from 
you know, controlling or overpowering thoughts of food is very different. That is disordered eating. And that is not what I'm talking about here. But what I'm talking when it is very reasonable, normal, even to have emotional feelings surrounding food. And, you know, in lockdown, we've just been bombarded with these memes of like lockdown snack attack. And, you know, uh, you've got to run off that pizza or, you know, do you deserve the cake? It's like, where do you get off being so judgy about what you're putting in your body of yourself? The really harmful rhetoric. And, you know, it's, but this, that's not to say, I'm like, oh yeah, go on, eat with abandon. Because I, you know, I have the same feelings too. It's okay to feel frustrated about putting on weight. It doesn't make you a bad person. You know, we have had, insidious diet culture thrust on us since we were tiny and you know it, so we are going to have these feelings of uh, and these negative feelings when we put on weight when we don't feel as um you know as comfortable as we as we usually do in our clothes and i'm not mm-hmm. saying that that makes you a bad person but these feelings of shame mm-hmm. they should not be welcome food does not have uh it, you know it's not on the moral spectrum it's just food you know and actually but although as a nutritionist i'm not going to put tangy cheese doritos on a diet plan for any client but if that is their favorite food and they're getting some pleasure from that i will make space for it there is always space for those doritos and you know it's kind of being able to shake off those feelings of, of guilt and stress when you eat something that you know is not aligned with your health goals. So Hmm. another thought hack that I have with clients is if they feel a sudden hunger for a very specific food, like Doritos, um, wait 20 minutes, has that feeling passed? Because physical hunger creeps up on us. It doesn't feel urgent. It's an itch and we can scratch it with a number of different foods. You know, you often hear like toddlers are constantly hungry. I'm hungry. Mm. Are you hungry? Here's an apple. And they're like, no, thanks. (laughs) Well, that's not hunger then. I mean, my mom used to do this to me. It was horrific. You know, it's like, oh, that's not hunger. It's like, well, what do you want? I want biscuits. You know, well, that is seeking. And that's not a bad thing, but it's not hunger. You're seeking something else through that biscuit. So I like to say to clients who are going through those feelings of guilt and stress when they're eating something that they that they then regret, you know, just just wait 20 minutes. And if you still want that food after 20 minutes and you're able to recognize that it is a an emotional hunger over a physical hunger, but you still want it, don't deny yourself, have mm-hmm. a small amount, restrictions, you know, knowing that the Doritos are there and then and not eating them. You're only going to eat them three days later. <laughs> You're probably going to eat more because yeah. you denied yourself. So how about little and often? Well, not often, but little. Having a little amount, to just, mm. you know, a little taste to get rid totally. of that thing. Totally, that makes so much sense to me. And I think as well, it also is about, as like I said earlier, about about knowing yourself. Because mm. I. If I'm eating really well, like if I feel like I'm I'm eating in a really kind of nutritional way, I will still have a piece of dark chocolate in the evenings. And I will just I, I always will do that because I feel as though eating really healthily, nutritionally the rest of the time um, 
is really, really easy if I know that I'm going to have that treat at the end of the day. And I've figured that out for myself. So I Mm -hmm. have that big bar of dark chocolate in the cupboard. And I know that I'm going to have one square of it later, later that night. And that's enough for me when I, when I am in a, in a good emotional space with food. But I know that some people wouldn't be able to have that bar of chocolate in the cupboard. They would just literally, if they knew it was there, they'd just eat the whole thing like right Mm -hmm. now. And so it's exactly what you've been saying this whole time, that it is really about an individual approach and what works for me or what works for you might not work for someone else, but that doesn't mean that there is not a system or a process or an approach that will work for them. It's just like figuring it out basically. And again, another thing that you've just said is just this idea that for so many people, deprivation is just going to make it way worse. Like if I, that's so true for me. Like if I told myself that I, that I was never allowed to eat chocolate again, apart from like on my birthday, I mean, I mean, firstly, I would probably like genuinely start crying. And secondly, <laughs> secondly, it would mean that I would inevitably fall off the wagon and just eat the whole bar of chocolate rather than enjoying it, you know, one square time you know what happens then do you enjoy the chocolate or you eating it quickly you barely taste it and then you have feelings of shame that accompany it yeah and yeah it's so key but I think also really like you're absolutely right and I love that you do that but there's a couple of things that you said there Mm -hmm. um that made me go oh and the first was you know I'm eating healthily most of the time and then I have my dark chocolate there's a space in a healthy diet and a healthful diet for dark chocolate what tells you what demonizes chocolate as a, you know an unhealthy food and I think that that comes down to black and white thinking mm. food is good food is bad food is unhealthy food is healthy and and actually the space for everything the amount the ratio that is often what needs to be cued. so actually you know having a square you know you can up that to two <laughs> a dark chocolate and I and dark chocolate of course is a more healthful choice there will be days where only a 12 a Cadbury 12 will do and that might be okay for you as well mm. so it's kind of like we need to undo this black and white dogmatic thinking about food as food is healthy because that's what leads to uh you know Doritos are unhealthy um, and, and pressing the fuck it button and in for a penny, in for a pound. I might as well, all I've ruined today, yeah. I've ruined today by having, you know, uh, cheese on toast for lunch. So I might as well have the bag of Doritos. But if we're coming from a place of balance and looking at it in a less dogmatic way, no black and white thinking, not labeling certain foods as good or bad, or, and this is the second point that I made, a treat, mm. um, you know, then then it becomes, we become, we're in a balanced state, everything flows, you know, and I'm really, I'm really, I'm not perfect, I'm really conscious when I talk to my three-year-old, you know, about, you know, a treat, because then I'm putting certain foods on a pedestal. It's so, so hard it's, not it's, to, though, it's, it's so hard, because it's so ingrained that's what, in us. Of course, that's how we were spoken to as children, about food, you know, biscuits and chocolates are treats, and and you know carrots and apples and things like that these are things that we definitely need to get through to get to the street so I you know I'm I'm really trying very hard and it takes a lot of unpacking you know my 
childhood when I talk to my son about certain foods so you know like it's yeah for ages <laughs> when he was a baby and I'm not saying this is a good approach at all I'm not child, I'm not a children's nutritionist I'm just a nutritionist who have a kid I yeah. don't work for children yeah it's not my area of expertise but when he was growing up he loved pomegranate seeds um, and he still does they're one of his favorite things ever oh so God. when he was a teeny tiny baby you know we used to call Wait, <laughs> you be like, oh, you know, this is before he could talk, and he knows now that they are not sweet. But you know, a week, we week, he's like, oh, do you want some sweeties? And like, yeah, you know. Um, so it's kind of it's, it's trying to it's trying to not put certain foods on a pedestal. We've got to get to our dinner to get the dessert. It's kind of like maybe maybe dessert can come first because all foods as as close as you can. It's very hard thing to see all foods are equal mm. just maybe we need to switch how much of certain foods we eat totally you know? and i think it's it's human psychology as well it's like you said before yeah. you know deprivation leads to to desire i think that's completely true like even if you're you know whatever kind of eater you are i think if you demonize something even anything if you demonize it you kind of start to like we said earlier kind of build this kind of weird sort of shame pyramid around it and make it weird and forbidden and sort of interesting but a bit scary mm -hmm. and like it's just, just all this like layers of bullshit basically around something that yeah. is that is forbidden or seen as bad or seen as rebellious or shameful or whatever and it's like actually if we try and dismantle all of these layers of bullshit around certain foods you're way less likely to be obsessed with them in the first place you're way more likely to be like well actually i don't really I don't, I'm not really that bothered actually about having that massive yeah. piece of cake because I'm not making it mean this huge thing that it doesn't really mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, you know, this is me coming from a time not so long ago where if I had uh, a, a, that piece of cake, I'd be like, well, I've written the week off now, so I might as well just eat whatever. I was really extreme in my black or white thinking, yeah. um, you know, and so it, it is coming to a place of flux and being able to you know see all foods as as, as just what they are they are food and actually maybe i just need to tweak and go a bit heavier on the greens and a little bit less with the with the processed biscuits 100%. about finding finding balance it all comes down to balance hannah 100 <laughs> percent, yeah everything everything does at the end of the day i do want to ask you about two kind of big topics still that I know you have such a refreshing viewpoint on. And I'm gonna kind of ask the question, it's sort of got two bits to the question, but I think it's basically the same thing, which is we talked earlier about shame and about how I think so often women, definitely way more than men, but men that, you know, this is an agendered thing. Women attach, like we've said, value judgments to food this food is bad this food is good mm -hmm. oh i'm being good so i'm eating this or oh, oh yeah. fuck it i had a hard day so i'll eat this which i know is bad but you know i've been good all week so i'll eat this bad thing that's just like what oh, it just makes me cringe even talking about it because it's just so socially constructed bollocks mm. actually. Yeah. that's the first thing but secondly even as i know that and even as i say that I am someone that has previously bought in to this idea that the only way for me to lose weight, especially as someone who has an underactive thyroid, 
it has a hormonal makeup that makes it very easy for me to put on weight and I'm using and I'm, I'm not saying that you know people that are overweight are unhealthy because that's also a complete stack of, of bollocks in many cases but mm-hmm. I know that for me in order to feel my best I often feel as though I want to you know lose a few pounds and it will help me feel more energized and better in my body and etc etc and that's just something that I know is true for me and because there's so many of these messages around that speak to us about good foods and bad foods and good diets and bad diets and how we should be and shame around food and blah, 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 blah. You know, what I'm getting at is the 1,200 calorie diet. <laughs> that is basically what I should be sticking to. You know, my fitness pal, an app on my phone. If I say to it, this is how much I weigh. This is what my height is. This is how much exercise I do. And this is what I want to, this is the weight that I want to be at in three months time my fitness pal will go oh great okay fantastic right so you need to eat um no more than 1200 calories a day please and that's it you can't see me but i'm incandescent (laughs) um and i think just to finish my question basically to sort of tie up those two sort of slightly separate ideas together that message firstly i know that it is so it's so it oversimplifies calories and food massively Mm -hmm. secondly a 1200 calorie diet is really not a lot of food and even for somebody like me that is a tiny little person that doesn't need a huge amount of food it still really does not feel like enough food i'm worried that i'm not bringing in enough nutrients and it's very very easy to 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 break that 1200 calorie limit and then of course you get the shame. Oh my God, I'm a bad person. I have no willpower. I suck. I'm always want to eat the wrong foods. I'm never going to lose weight. I'm so unhealthy. Like, how do we even begin with this <laughs> thousand two hundred calorie myth? Like, where does it come from? Why does it suck? And like, what can we do instead? So, <laughs> I think you've answered your own question. To be honest with you, Hannah. <laughs> like, really, you have. And I know we have spoken about this privately before, but. 1,200 calories is the energy requirement for my three-year-old. He is not yet a meter in height. So my first He's catching question up with be, me, though. He's catching <laughs> up with me. Yeah. Well, are you three, Hannah? <laughs> first of all, no, no. I mean, you have. You've answered your own question. Unless those 1,200 calories are super nutrient-dense, you're incredibly unlikely to be giving your body the nutrients and minerals it needs to function optimally um you're it's almost certain you're not giving it the energy it needs unless you're incredibly static all day long um and i know you're not i would even go for you know a 5k run and still try to stick to this limit so i would say that you're chronically not giving your body the energy it needs. Now, this is quite specific to you. That is not to say that there won't be people out walking out out there who actually. I just no. I, I I really genuinely don't believe that anyone's health can be optimal at one thousand two hundred calories. Any adult uh, woman, I really don't actually. And there might be people who are going to question that and pursue it and say, oh, you know what, I do this all all day every day and I'm I'm wonderful. I'm like, okay, let's see where your health is. Mm-hmm. in a decade's time mm-hmm. and you know and also in saying well it tells me that i need to do this for three months in order to achieve this goal mm-hmm. um how long have you been able to to sustain a 1200 calorie a day diet what's your longest stint at that probably 
probably three months on my absolute most successful. I mean, and I wow. even use the word successful in inverted mm. commas, but that's me really portraying a rosy view of the picture because it's it's three months with you know falling off the wagon here um mm -hmm. and it doesn't tell you how many times i've tried to stick to it that have lasted way way less time so the longest time was probably three months but that's 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 really that's really quite impressive and i think oftentimes for women to to reach their ideal goal their ideal goal it sits outside of uh, a balance between eating optimally and and and, and having a life <laughs> and going out oh, for totally, a pizza with totally, your boyfriend totally. and having the flexibility. I, like I know from pretty extreme dieting in the past, and by extreme dieting I mean I did the five two diet for a really really long time, and you know my calorie count on the five days where you're supposed to eat a normal amount it's probably very close to 1200 calories mm. um but what that what i gained i gained thinness <laughs> what i lost was connection and uh you know and, and also feelings uh, and mental wellness i yeah. i i had to have control all the time there's no fun eating your you know your depressing salad and then bit by bit putting every ingredient into my fitness pal to see if you can afford a bit of uh you know salad dressing <laughs> with your salad later um, to me that is not living optimally and in balance though i did it because i really wanted to be thin so it's kind of like again it's like what aligns with your goals i don't work with weight loss clients and um, people don't often come to me for weight loss anyway um but when they do and if there is something else that's going on for them i say let's work with that and weight loss will often come because living in a balanced way with mm. optimal health in vitality often often means shedding the pounds that we carry when we are you know not living aligned with how we want to be so I don't love working with weight loss. It's often a, a kind of a byproduct of, of, of what I'm doing. But also, you know, specifically to you, and, you know, I can imagine actually, you know, thyroid, underactive thyroid is not uncommon and it is becoming more and more prevalent, um, you know, in, in today's society, just it particularly with women. So actually, even though I'm, uh, this is quite specific to you, I think it's actually going to you know, be relevant to so many of your listeners. But when it comes to the thyroid, here's why a toddler's <laughs> diet is not for someone with a low thyroid. So when it comes to the thyroid, we need energy, which is glucose, which is essentially sugar, to convert T4, which is the inactive hormone, and that is what you, you take when you ingest levosuroxone you are taking the inactive form of our thyroid hormone and we need to convert it to t3 so 80 percent of this conversion happens in the liver so if we are in a state of deprivation the liver doesn't have adequate glucose to convert the liver runs on sugar um, and it is it's responsible for turning Stored, uh, you know, stored sugars, glycogen, 
into blood glucose. So if your blood sugar is low because you're hungry, because you've eaten a toddler's breakfast, it has, you know, it's got another job to do. It needs to convert stored sugar into blood glucose. And it's going to prioritize that because that's really important. Being chronically low, having chronic low blood sugar is really bad for us. Mm. So it'll prioritize that as opposed to converting your inactive thyroid hormone to an active useful form of thyroid hormone. So really you're kind of putting your blood sugar first. So you're starving yourself and your blood sugar is suffering as a result. Your liver is prioritizing that. It is going to be your thyroid comes last. So, you know, wow. it's, it's, it's really, I think it's so fascinating. This is why there's so much about food psychology, eating psychology, and the, the, the mind-body connection. Yeah. You know, it, when, specific to my anxiety clients, in addition to this, when the, the liver has to make its own glucose, um, you know, if this is a process called gluconeogenesis. It needs to make its own glucose. And this is probably what you're trying to aim for. And this is what most people are trying to aim for. It's kind of like, well, I want the liver to make its own glucose and I want it to use my fat stores. Hmm. Um, and this, this is what people tend to be going for when they deprive themselves. It's like, well, you know, we want to burn fat as energy. Sure. So in order to do this, the liver, it needs, it demands cortisol. Um, it demands cortisol to do this. So you're temporarily increasing your stress response. This is why I don't love fasting for stress clients because you're increasing your cortisol. Mm -hmm. And with some clients, this happens so regularly every day, they're putting themselves into a fasted state, that they, they, they put themselves into a high cortisol state. Now, cortisol is the anticipatory stress hormone. So when you're in a high cortisol state, you are constantly looking out for that saber-toothed tiger to rear its head on the horizon. Mm. Um, and so the body is learning to keep that output high, meaning that you're constantly looking out for, for you know, things that could hurt you, harm you. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, this, this, this contributes to anxiety, to stress and to worry. It's so complex, you know. It's, no, but um, I, I, love, I love it. I love how it's all your examples are really just showing how interconnected it all is and what you're talking about being in a high stress state or, or an anxious state, you know, where you're literally scanning the horizon for that saber toothed tiger. That's exactly what I help my clients deal with and have come to understand in my own life and in my own studies of mindfulness and CBT, because that's kind of the state that we find ourselves in if we are stuck in an anxious state, if we are suffering from trauma and PTSD. And, and, and like you said earlier, you know, trauma that is continuing to have an effect on our lives now. And it's that, it's that flight, uh, flight uh, fight or freeze response. Mm -hmm. And mindfulness can, under the guidance of a trauma-informed practitioner, help <laughs> us to work through that in such a powerful way but what you're saying is that it's not just that and it kind of comes like full circle to what we were speaking about earlier which is that you can do all of the psychology and all of the counseling that you bloody like but unless you are understanding how you're fueling your body physically with the nutrients that it needs to actually physically process you know to actually physically do what you're asking of it by providing it with the nutrients that it needs to actually 
do those processes so that you are able to feel the serotonin or whatever like it's it's not separate it's it's so no it's so linked and so you know I knew I knew that when we first spoke about this I that it literally was going to blow my mind and it has so yay um (laughs) (laughs) thank you also I just want to I I think it's really important to talk about like everyone's got a different stance on um on calories and uh, Mm. you know and what are calories essentially the energy that we get from food and when we read the back back of the packet from Sainsbury's there's all 38 calories in this you know cracker or whatever it's like how accurate is that really and but also uh, the um, the amount of energy that we will extract from our food depends on a really complex interaction between what we're eating and the human body and it's trillions of microbes you know you and i would not get the same energy from exactly the same meal we just wouldn't so you know although you could go oh okay there's 500 calories in that you know that our bioindividuality means that we will extract different energy from from that so i just people need to start working less with calories and more with what nourishes them what's going to nourish your thyroid you know what's going to make your thyroid work optimally it's yeah, let's move outside of calories let's move outside of energy of course we need to be conscious of how much energy we're putting into our body and how much energy we're burning but you know relying on packets of food it, it just that sends us wildly out of of, of of alignment with how food can nourish us i love it i love it i'm obsessed it's just bloody brilliant is what it is i love it i just love how you're just showing how how connected it all is and i just think that's brilliant Um, oh thanks hannah (laughs) and of course that's why i wanted to have you on on the show because i just knew that you had so much i'm really enjoying myself honestly so much useful (laughs) absolutely i know we could so you have spoken about your habits a little bit but this podcast is all about getting to know yourself better and I've spoken about this on my Instagram today, you know, mindfulness and living mindfully and intentionally is effectively just figuring out who you are and what you need kind of away from all of the noise and the bullshit and everyone else telling you what you should be doing. And that's why I love to ask my guests, what habits, rituals, or their own practices do they try and incorporate into their lives that help them feel more in balance and help, help you get more in tune with who you are and what you need like do you have any daily rituals or any mm-hmm. nutritional nutritional hacks or remedies that you use in your own life so i mean i am not going to talk to you my day because it's long it's 24 hours and it's, like, <laughs> and it's and it's it's full of it's full of stuff but i what i will say is the person that i've tried to be is someone who wakes up at 6 a.m and does a yoga and meditate for 15 minutes and then you know eat breakfast outside in the sunshine getting vitamin d on the back of my hands and hitting the back back of my retinas because i know that that is the best thing for my circadian rhythm but i talked to you about my grave anatomy habit talked to you about the fact that i'm a night owl that's just not who i am as a person so i think what has been the most transformative part of my 30s so far has been accepting that i am i i like to write at about half seven quarter to eight i have a husband who is really good 
at getting up with the kid <laughs> and you know he's he's an early bird so it, it works with him so when Seth gets up my husband will get up with him and I'll have an extra half an hour so in bed which dream. is wonderful yeah dream dream husband um and just going with that that is where my circadian rhythm naturally fits and that's how I feel best and it's not forcing myself to get up um so yeah it's about half seven quarter away I'll get up and I I have breakfast within 30 minutes of waking that is a really important part of my daily ritual I break my fast the reason is um I have had a recent um recent a couple of years ago big bout of anxiety which I threw everything out <laughs> you know I'm talking CBD meditation yoga nidra uh yoga uh it's just, you know all of the things running I went to see a healer at one point it was like super woo I just needed to heal my anxiety and um you know it, it actually just bring it back to, to the nutrition and acceptance that I needed to live alongside my anxiety it was there to teach me something mm. was integral to my healing from it also cbd cbd is like i love it um again not medical advice uh if you want to take cbd talk to a practitioner cbd Um, CBD and cbt i say ah amazing both at the same time in many cases anyway carry on (laughs) yeah so for me eating within 30 minutes of waking is something that the, 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 the liver starts to request cortisol is that whole sugar Gluconeogenesis starts to request cortisol in the early hours of the morning. And when we wake up uh, and we don't break off fast, that cortisol request still goes. So then a lot of people wake up and they do like fasted cardio and things like that mm. can be really, really good for you. But if you're prone to high cortisol, stress and anxiety, then breaking your fast within 30 minutes of waking is one of the best rituals you can do. So that's what I do. I break my fast. I'm not particularly or anxious at the moment but I know that me and anxiety we've got history so I want to prevent that coming back so I will always have breakfast um and then I like to exercise later in the day this is because my energy levels are higher at night I'm a night owl so that's when I do my exercise it really goes against all of the things that you see um on Instagram you know the 5 a.m. club and that's not to pursue those people who are able to do that that is their you know, their circadian chronotype, but mine is later in the day. So yeah, my daily exercise, and this is me living my best life, feeling my most vital, feeling super well, is like, you know, I will exercise daily, minimum 30 minutes. It's just, I don't do it for my body anymore. I used to do it to undo the mm-hmm. case. You know, there was a huge shift for me when I had my son and actually now exercise for me and it's a lovely shift. I do it for my brain. (laughs) Um, Amazing. You know, I don't ever undo it and say, oh, I need to do 400 calories of a run because I ate that. That is old me, old habits. Um, And that has been one of the most healing things for me. So yeah, 30 minutes of exercise later in the day um you know i'm walking throughout the day that's really important i notice if i don't do that if i'm chained to my desk um i feel fatigued stressed unwell um yeah and getting my vegetables in 
you know, I'd like to say, oh yeah, I sleep in eight hours every night, you know, but some days I'm hard pushed to seven and that's just who I am as a person. Mm. So yeah, these are seven hours sleep, vegetables and fiber, protein with every meal, daily exercise, hydration, and eating within 30 minutes of waking. These are my rituals. These are what I do when I'm living my best life. And also I would have to say as well, like this is something that you've told me before that you I don't know if you you probably don't drink coffee but you have told me that I need to eat before I have my first cup of coffee of the day which is so oh, hard for me to do and I hate you for telling me it but I know oh, I'm right important so important I'm what are you doing so it's, it, and it again goes to the fact that the liver is requesting cortisol give me the stress hormone give me the stress hormone what do you, what is coffee it's an anxiogenic it, it does induce anxiety it presses the button for your cortisol. So if you've got the liver requesting cortisol, then you have coffee before you're breaking your fast. You're just requesting cortisol on top of cortisol. For some people, this can feel really good. Cortisol can feel great. It's really, um, it's, it's, it's excitatory. Uh, for, that can become problematic later down the line. But I, you know, I don't worry about those people. They're living their best life right now. But if you are prone to anxiety, uh, yeah. Coffee, coffee on an empty stomach is the worst thing you can do, Hannah. Can't even, can't stress it enough. <laughs> Charlotte, you see, this is why, this is why people get annoyed. Don't come and see no, me. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But I love coffee, so I understand it. But I, I, I love it enough that I don't want to have to not have it. <laughs> so I will, you know, I will amend that. I'll switch up my routine and I'll have coffee after breakfast. I know the hard thing for that because my husband super struggles with it he he just wants it first thing and I have to force him to have he has two breakfasts now so he has a tiny breakfast for his coffee as a kind of and then uh, later on after his coffee he'll have a big breakfast and that's okay yeah or something I think I might have to do that I might have to do that because I I kind of I I usually eat breakfast about I mean I'm lucky because obviously like working from home I don't have to kind of snaffle it down before I rush out the door so I would normally eat breakfast at sort of about 10 o'clock. I would sort of wake up at sort of half seven and have breakfast at 10 o'clock. But if I'm going to have coffee, yeah. So basically I need to do what your husband does and have like a sort of mini, a mini breakfast first before I have coffee. Because that will also <laughs> signal, that will signal to your liver, switch off the cortisol. Um, yeah. Because it, there's, there's no need for it. It's got something in there. It's got glucose coming in, so it doesn't need to... It doesn't need to make it so switch off the request for cortisol and there therefore you're giving it, your liver's not creating sugar it's not having to create that sugar anymore so you're it can start working for your thyroid amazing which is what I it's gonna be to really do. important for you really yeah. important but no, <laughs> i have heard that as well like just in general and like even my my boyfriend doesn't drink caffeinated coffee anymore because he really did notice that it was having a measurable impact on his anxiety levels mm-hmm. so he we now brew two different pots of coffee in our house we have the, the the caffeinated one for me and we have the decaffeinated one for him and we have like cute little labels in our kitchen so we know which is yeah. which and like that's love and there you go. i know and i did actually say that because because the other day he brewed we were out of both and he brewed caffeinated coffee and decaf and then brought me my coffee my caffeinated one and i was just like oh Love. I love you. Love in a cup. This yeah. is what love is. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you did both. But having said that, self-love 
I need to make sure that I eat before I have coffee. And I think it's, I just think that's so true. And I think that if I'm really honest with myself, I of course feel better if I don't just like neck a cup of coffee as soon as I wake up. Yeah. Like, How could you not, you know, it's a, it's a stimulant. Coffee is a stimulant and it is a drug. And yes. It's the most heavily commodified drug in the world. We need to, we need to be careful with how we use it. And it's a joy as well. I understand that. I love coffee. I, I mean, I didn't really drink it before I had my, my son. So this is a new love for me. Um, you know, I got my husband a grinder for love our it. anniversary, for our wedding anniversary. We take coffee seriously, you know, but I limit myself to one after breakfast and then I will have a decaffeinated after lunch. And it tastes the same because yeah. we go for really yummy grapes, you know, really yummy beans. And totally, so yeah. it tastes the same, but I don't need that stimulant after my lunch where really I want my circadian rhythm to start winding down for the evening. I don't want to be coming down off a, off a coffee high. 100%. And then, yeah. yeah, and then that's actually been a fantastic um, advantage of my boyfriend having a cup of, you know, a, a pot of decaffeinated coffee always on the go because I now do the same thing as you. Yeah. Caffeine in the morning and then as soon mm-hmm. as I kind of reach midday, I'll switch to decaf. And even then I'll only have like one cup of decaf and something that really helped me as well and I I am going to put this book in the show notes because I think it's so like anyone that's interested in their circadian rhythms and and coffee and how it affects you and you know all of that and adenosine which is you know the 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 long story short hormone that makes you feel tired and coffee masks it so coffee's not actually making you feel better it's just masking the fact that you're already tired so it's not you know it's all kinds of levels of bullshit of why coffee is not the best thing but in small Mm -hmm. doses amazing and we love it and i have a grinder as well and i love it and actually there's there's heaps of health benefits to to coffee you know it's an antioxidant and it's really good for you but again it's just about finding at what what level how much is you know, do we tip the edge? It's like red wine, you mm. know, is, is full of resveratrol, which is a, a powerful antioxidant. But at what point do we tip the scale? And does it start to become detrimental to our health? You know, mm. and so everything can be part of a healthy diet as long as you're not abusing it. Yeah, and I think it's what you said before, like we're not demonizing any of them. We're just sort of no. figuring out what ratios are going to work best for us. And I just want to Indeed. say quickly, the book that I was just about to say was... Um, why we sleep by matthew walker yeah which i have fangirled over that book before but i will do it again because it is literally bloody life-changing that book he is amazing it's incredible and i i I recommend that to so many clients not the ones who are struggling with sleep because it can make them really panic um so it's it's, i think for ones who don't prioritize sleep and and for me as well i don't always prioritize sleep that is my sticking point it's a great book totally recommend me too absolutely so <laughs> i am conscious of time but i do have two last questions for you and one of them Go for is, it. one of them is someone listening to this who doesn't have the same struggles that i have doesn't have an underactive thyroid blah 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 but who is thinking actually i have this problem or i struggle with sleep or i i, I feel like i'm not at the weight that i want to be or i don't have the energy that i want to have what should they do? Like, apart from obviously scheduling a consultation call with you, before they get to that point, what <laughs> can they do first to start to take a step nutritionally towards feeling better? Um, so I think I think it all comes back down to nutrition 101. 
very simple. And actually, I mean, this sounds super cheap, <laughs> but this is this tends to be what I do with my clients in our first in our first consultation. Like hands up, totally on it. I will look at the the key pillars of of, of of nutrition and are they naming all of those? Because most people aren't. Um, you know, and that is, are you adequately adequately hydrated? Are you do, you, do you have protein, fat and carbohydrate with all of your meals? Um, you know, are you sleeping enough? Are you chronically tired? Are you sleeping enough for, you, for, for your needs? Because again, everyone's different. Um, are you over-caffeinated? Uh, are you dehydrated? My biggest one. Um, you know, so, I, so looking at all of these key things, because sometimes people are seeking this really elaborate, answer to their problems mm -hmm. and actually it just comes down to something really really simple like they don't get enough water in in the day and you're if you're feeling anxious drink some water because dehydration mimics feelings of anxiety and panic and without adequate water we can feel fatigued and our brains sluggish so you know it's sort of like it's that simple and often you know people seek help to, to to remedy their health problems and it's just like well you need to drink more than a pint of water a day that's definitely not enough <laughs> for you and on top of that you're drinking coffee because you think that is hydrating you but it's not it's diuretic and it means that you need to overcompensate so really sometimes just look at look at, at very simple things and make sure that you've got those foundations in place before you start seeking really elaborate solutions. That is my, that's, yeah, start that's simple. First step, yeah. Mm, first totally. step, always. Totally. And I think as well, it's, it's kind of what we said earlier. It's like, if you are doing all of that and you still feel like there is an issue, then by all means seek help. And by all means, be your own advocate in the GP surgery and say, no, yeah. I, want, I want you to test for this. I want you to test for this. Because I do think sometimes people feel afraid of that. Like they don't, they feel like they're not an expert in nutrition or whatever. And I, it's just what we said earlier, you know, when I went to my GP thinking that I had possibly a thyroid problem, my GP was like, well, we can kind of wait and see what happens. And I was like, so you want me to wait for it to get much, much worse before mm. we start investigating it? And I kind of understand that it is, again, always what we said before, going back to balance, because it's like, on the one hand, yeah, am I am I sleeping enough? Am I giving myself the best possible chance? Like, am I hydrating enough? Yeah. But equally, as well, I personally, I realized that actually there was a possibility that I could be tested for underactive thyroid. And lo and behold, I was right. And sounds yeah. like a similar story to you. So, yeah, again, like. And also just like removing all of the shame around it. Like I know oh, it's amazing, but Yeah, there are days, you know, there are days where I get to the end of the day and I'm like, why why can't I think so? <laughs> why you know, what what's going on? It's like, oh, because I I I've had a glass of water today. You know, I'm yeah. big I'm big on hydration. So actually that does come with feelings of shame for me because it's like yeah. I talk about hydration all the time. And then when I forget it myself, I'm like, oh god you know what hope is there um but but yeah it's it start simple look at the simple things always trust your intuition too so whilst you're looking at the simple things if you feel that something needs a a, a test go for that push for that request it all you can do is be knocked back but i think you know often ignoring these health niggles 
is problematic. We're not getting ahead of them soon enough. So do request the test. But why are you requesting the test? Just look to see if you're looking for something a little bit more, a little bigger when the answer is just right in front of you. Um, you know, you're only eating carbohydrates and you haven't got adequate protein in your diet, which is going to buffer your blood sugar response and, you know, means that you have energy, sustainable energy throughout the day. So it's really simple things. And I think as well, we can really underestimate like how simple things can really have such an impact. Like I remember oh. a couple of weeks ago, I was looking in the mirror and I was like, why have I got all these, these like pimples on my chin? And then my boyfriend was like, because we went away for the weekend and we literally ate shit for the whole weekend. Uh -huh. I was like, oh yeah, that'd be why. Oh, yeah. like, <laughs> it's, like, yeah. not, it's not magic. It's like, it's oh. sort of like really, you know, really d dark and deep reason, but actually... You know, it is. It can often be so simple. Yeah. And I, 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 when I when I first started out, I had a client who um, he said to me, "I'm really not sleeping very well at all." And you know, and this is not this is not to shame anybody, but it's just sometimes we're so close to what we're doing for ourselves that we can't see the woods for the trees. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and that is the case for me who has studied this, who, who works in this field. Totally. Sometimes when it comes to my own health, I need yeah. to outsource that to another set of eyes. So, you know, and that's just human nature. And this client was like, you know, I don't know why I'm not sleeping very well. Because you're drinking five espressos throughout the day. <gasps> yeah. You know, it's kind of, it, it, but, you know, that, I, it's, it's easy to go, oh, but, you know, but this isn't always obvious to people because yeah. they're so close to it. Because actually really? this is a picture and it's something they've always done. Yeah. You know, so, Simple, simple is best. Always just like start small, see where you're at, and then maybe it needs to go into a much bigger investigation. But yeah, 100%. start small. And I think also it's, it's so easy as well for us to think that, like you say, it needs this like big elaborate solution. And actually it's way less sexy to be like, well, actually you just need to sort of like drink less coffee and eat. Yeah. Coffee. It's like way less yeah. sexy. It's like, no, but I want like a pill. I want, I want the doctor to diagnose me with this thing and then give me this medication and then that's it. And that's it. That, and then I know what my problem is and, and that's it. And it's just a, a, a pill that's just going to do what I need it to do and end of story. And it's like way less sexy to be like, no, actually you just need to kind of drink less coffee and eat more kale. And it's like, oh, uh -huh. okay. Yeah. That, yeah. that feels less sexy, but probably just as effective in some cases. <laughs> Oh my gosh, such a, such a, a so, huge so amount cool. to talk about. I could honestly talk to you all day about all of this for another couple of hours, but I am conscious of time. So right. listen, if people, Let's back it up. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally, if people want to speak with you and find out more and book a call with you to see if there's obviously something that you can help them with or if any of these ideas have really started to make them think like, oh, I really want to know more about this. Where can they find you? What's the best way to get in touch? Well, like most people, hang out on Instagram <laughs> throughout the day. So um, you can always reach out to me via DM there. I am Charlotte for Green Nutrition and for is F-A-U-R-E. Um, I'm sure you can find me through Hannah. She'll probably signpost somewhere. Uh, or my website, which is charlottesforgreens.com. Um, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Perfect. I really love as well on your website. I mean, 
I know that it's probably in constant um, work in progress mode, like (laughs) including my own. Um, But I do love at the moment, I think the last time that I looked at it, you had just a really simple structure for how you how you structure your calls. You know, you kind of have the consultation and then you have kind of the initial call. And it just I I had small business owner envy when I looked at your website because I was like, oh, Oh. so simple. It's so great. I understand completely. You know, simplicity you. is key and I love that. So if anyone does want to go to Charlotte's website and find out more about her, you will be pleasantly surprised by the simplicity oh, of it. Thanks so much, <laughs> Hannah. Yeah, and we'll, I'll always start with, I think it's really important to say that we always start with a free call um, where we get to know each other and chat and you talk over um, your, your, your health concerns or what's going on for you right now and what you, what you need help with. And it gives me a good idea as to whether I'm the person best placed to help you and whether you actually, and then for you to figure out if, if I've kind of got your number, if what I'm saying is resonating and whether we're just a good fit generally. So, you know, that first call is really, really important and I love it. And actually for me, often it's, it's such a good steer for how we work together, even though it's just, you know, a little 15, 20 minute chat. Um, so that is always free and no obligation so if you just want to explore and what you know what nutritional therapy could do for you then just book in with me and have a chat because yeah amazing that's very generous of you love it well as i say i always put all of the links to all of this in the show notes um for this episode on my website but charlotte thank you so much for this it has been genuinely life-changing blown my mind several times over so thank you so so much i'm i'm honored to have you on the podcast to explain it's, all of these things such a nice chat with a mate thanks hannah yeah. really i've really enjoyed myself so happy to hear that yeah if you enjoy this podcast the best way to support it is to hit subscribe and leave a review on apple podcasts or wherever you usually listen so that many other like-minded women just like you and me can discover it and share the word i'd also absolutely love it if you could let me know what your favorite takeaway was from this week's episode come and tag me on instagram at breathe like a badass you can take a screenshot of the podcast episode that you're listening to or just come and drop me a DM because let's be honest, I'm on Instagram pretty much every single day and I would absolutely love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. As I say, the best way that you could continue to support podcasts like this and incredible women in business just like the ones that I interview on this show is to hit subscribe, leave a review and share. In the meantime, thank you again and I cannot wait to see you back here for next week's episode. Just remember, breathe like the badass you are and you won't go far wrong.